0: It doesn't. Welcome to Monsters Among Us, I am your guide, Derek Hayes, and a happy solstice to you. Thank you for returning for another fear-inducing installment. Things have begun to clear up here for us, the fires are still raging nearby, but for now the smoke has cleared out. But I'll tell you what, there's a hint of autumn in the air, a surefire sign that we've begun the spooky season. So with that said, tonight's lineup is practically bone chilly. So let's dig right in. Our first entry of the evening comes to us from Ari in the state of Minnesota.
1: Hi, my name's Ari and I'm from Prior Lake, Minnesota. I just found your podcast a couple days ago and was listening to an episode that was awesome. Gal was talking about astral projection and like dreams and all that, and I just felt the need to share a story that I went through about five years ago. I was in dental assisting, assisting school and I worked as an assistant manager at a tanning salon on campus at the University of Minnesota. During a time around spring break in 2015, there was a gal who had gone missing for a while. No one knew where she was. We saw flyers everywhere trying to figure out where she was. One night, I went to bed, and I kept having this recurring dream over and over and over. I'd never met this girl, don't know who she was, but I kept seeing her in my dream. It was her and I sitting under a bridge. She didn't have any eyes. She couldn't talk, but I saw her. She was mouthing the word underneath to me over and over and over very rapidly. And the first time I woke up, and I woke up, my boyfriend sweating, freaking out, a little, little shaken up. And I thought, you know, I've seen her picture on campus with these missing posters and thought, no, nah, nothing of it. So I go back to sleep and I have the dream about four more times. I go into work the next day and I tell a coworker I'm with about it. We're sitting there talking, kind of like, ooh, that's, that's pretty creepy. And then my head manager gives me a call and tells me that she just found out they had found this girl's body underneath a bridge of course i was a little shaken up and had no idea what to do what to say and my coworker and i just looked at each other in just complete disbelief went home told my boyfriend and i've never experienced anything like that again in my life just felt compelled to share thanks so much for listening to my story take care
0: Thanks, Ari. That is a bit unsettling. Now, you might be surprised to learn that this sort of thing happens. In fact, it kind of happens often. Not every day often, but more often than you would assume. For example, the following three experiences took place in the state of Maine. All within a span of only a few years. Now, this clip is courtesy of WMTW. ABC News 8 out of Portland. Oh, just a heads up. This clip has mild descriptions of violent crime. So,
2: listener discretion advised. Dumped on a rural road in South Berwick May of last year, the body of a young boy. Murdered. But who was he?
3: And I kept feeling like a uh, Cameron name that but I it was like a That cam, 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 I kept getting that.
2: Caroline Probert is a self-proclaimed medium from Falmouth. She called police with a name and a description of what happened to the boy. He was finally identified as Camden Hughes. I saw him,
3: and all I kept hearing was, I can't
2: breathe. Camden's mother admitted to suffocating him in a New Hampshire hotel, then dumping his body in Maine. Another case where psychic intervention surfaced, Buxton in November 2006, the disappearance of a teenage girl named Corrine Weesey. In the early days of the investigation, Buxton Police Chief Michael Grovo received half a dozen calls from people claiming to be psychics. In the end, he says, some were correct. They eventually found Weesey's body in the river and ruled it a suicide.
4: You asked the people that said that she was in the river, absolutely.
2: I mean, they were right. There was a couple of us said that. One of the most prominent cases involving police and psychic work came back in 2001, the murder of Amy St. Lauren. She was a 25-year-old woman who was beaten and shot to death by a man she had a chance encounter with one night here in the Old Port. In that case, former detective Joe Lockland called Vicki Monroe, a psychic messenger, for help. Um,
3: I immediately, there, there she was, standing in front of me, Amy, looking just like I'm looking
5: at
2: you. At that time, only police knew that Jeffrey Russ Gorman and two
5: of his friends had been interviewed by authorities. The first thing uh, she said that was very pronounced was she mentioned the suspect's name.
3: And I said, oh, oh, she just said Jeff. And I said, the other name I get, Gorman.
5: And I went, whoa, okay." Now, there was no information in the paper. There's no way that you can put two and two together at, at that point in time. She's
3: suddenly standing in front of this large farm which I then find out is that Smiling Hill farm.
2: It turns out Jeff Gorman's mother lives along Route 22 in Scarborough, not far from the Smiling Hill farm.
3: Look for the house. Look for her. They're close.
2: On an afternoon in early December, six weeks after she had disappeared, the body of Amy St. Laurent was found in a shallow grave with a large board covering her body, just as the psychic had said. Lachlan credits good old-fashioned police work for solving this case, but says the information provided by psychic Vicki Monroe played a crucial part, too.
5: She said things that were, were totally unique and, and outside any information that she could possibly get. In other words, it, it, it made me go, oh, my, oh my God, this, there's something here. Jeffrey
2: Gorman was tried and convicted of murder. He's now serving a 60-year prison sentence. In Portland, Jim Keefley, News 8.
0: Now I wasn't shocked to have my pick of stories to feature, there are literally dozens of news stories nearly identical to this one. So let's assume that this ability is real and it's proven. How does one know when they should call in? Now obviously you can't call the fuzz every single time you have an unsettling dream or nagging thought. So when do those with this unique intuition know to trust their instincts? just asking for a friend. So thank you again, Ari. Maybe you can re-explore some of those thoughts and possibly bring forth clues to solve any outstanding mysteries associated with this unfortunate girl's death, assuming it hasn't been solved already. All right, that's a heavy way to open the show. So let's find something a little more soothing to set our mind at ease. Well, I think Allison in the state of Michigan is exactly what we
3: need. Hey there, Derek, I'm Allison from Michigan. I've had a lot of weird happen to me, but uh, I figured I'd share this one. I haven't really told a lot of people about it. When I was younger, in about fourth grade, my room was in the basement, and the way that that room worked was uh, you would go down the stairs and then turn into my room, And the stairs were directly underneath the back door. I remember this was probably the summer, and I just was getting ready to go to bed for the night. And at the time, my bed faced the doorway, and I always kept it closed. And I just, you know, went to bed late that night. I remember waking up, and the door was wide open, and there was just this blinding uh, kind of light coming through. And it was, I don't know how to describe it without sounding cliche, but it was this kind of like a gray alien looking thing. It was really short, probably not that taller than me at the time because I was a short kid. I had a big head and like really big eyes. I remember being scared and I couldn't scream or move. I was just petrified because I didn't know what was going on. This freaky thing was just standing in my doorway. And then I remember blacking out. But then when I came to, it was closer to my bed. And this is where like I've heard of like sleep paralysis and stuff, but it always kind of struck me as odd if it would have been if that was the case for this. Because I remember when it got when I woke up and it was close to my bed, I was able to finally scream because I was it was really freaky. And I remember it jumping like it was startled that I was able to like make a noise like it wasn't expecting it or something. And then from there, I uh I blacked out. And I woke up in my bed, but like in a completely different position. I was kind of like haphazardly, like half off my bed and then half on. And like my arms hurt really bad for like a good couple of days. And, you know, I was like in fourth grade. I didn't know how to like process whatever happened. If I saw something freaky, if it was my imagination running wild, I I don't know. I, I didn't know how to tell my mom because I didn't want to think like I was nuts. And besides, I was a kid. I don't think she would believe me anyway, but um, yeah. There, there's that. Keep doing what you're doing. I love listening to the show, and I hope you have a good one.
0: Thanks, Allison. You experienced my biggest childhood fear. A nighttime visit from one of those infamous gray aliens. But let's break this down further. For starters, it sounds to me like sleep paralysis. Many of the symptoms are right there in front of us. But... The creature reacting to Allison's eventual screams makes me wonder. But then, of course, there's the strange position that Allison found herself in upon waking up. Was her strange sleeping pose a result of said sleep paralysis? Or is it possible that her odd placement in the bed is a direct result of some sort of visitation and or abduction? Either way, I'd hate to be in your shoes, Allison. But I do thank you taking the time to share your experience now real quick before we move on don't forget that you can extend the show by following one of our many social media pages monsters among us is represented at reddit twitter instagram and facebook so search join and engage there are thousands of fellow weirdos waiting with memes in hand Now, since we discussed aliens, perhaps we should also explore their supposed method of travel. For this one, we venture to the Garden State. The following was submitted by Eric.
4: Hey Derek, my name is Eric. I'm from Elizabeth, New Jersey. This is where my story takes place. Calling because I just recently have been catching up and uh, I heard a caller, I don't remember the name, mentioned seeing something in the sky, kind of like a ship resembled uh, the Enterprise, I believe it was. So that kind of reminded me of a memory that I have. I didn't think I had anything, but then I remembered this once I heard the story. So this must have been in 2011, I want to say. I was uh, leaving work. I used to work until about 11 or midnight, and my job was tucked in in a few side streets. And off of those side streets was a a local main street, pretty busy, but at night it's dead. So as I was turning onto the main street to go five minutes to home, I saw in the sky what appeared to be a projection of red light, and this red light was a giant circle, and I don't know what it was. I remember staring at it for a long time because of how it appeared, and when I say it was a projection, it looked like a projection because the way that the red light kind of detailed everything looked like, you know, one of those... I don't know if they have, like, sci-fi-esque projection systems where you can just beam something up into the sky. I don't think there's anything that capable of beaming something so huge into the sky. There's no kind of military bases nearby in Elizabeth. Just for some context of what Elizabeth is like, it's just a city, fourth largest city in New Jersey, right next to Newark. Uh, If you ever flew to New Jersey or New York, chances are you flew to Newark Airport. So as I'm driving that night, I see the red giant circle that I want to say almost resembled the Death Star. And I know that sounds crazy (laughs) or, you know, even you're aware of the Transformer movies almost looked like the planet of Cybertron was being projected into the sky at a, in a large portion, you know, it was just standing out. And I remember pulling over, trying to take a picture and at the time, you know, 2011, The phones just weren't capable of capturing that kind of detail. I got home, I told my brother, who was still awake at the time, home from college. We went out, we crossed the street, we looked at it. He tried capturing it on picture as well, nothing. So we kind of just thought it was really strange, it was kind of cool, but we didn't follow up with anything. I wasn't on any kind of really social media where I can post up or check if anyone else saw this kind of thing so we just left it and uh, I actually forgot all about it until I heard that story so I've heard calls uh, on your show before where people say they see things kind of like ship or something that looks like it's just uh, a portion of the sky is missing I don't know if this was that but again what it looked like was A bright red projection of what I would say looked like the Death Star or Cybertron. And I know that sounds crazy. I know it sounds kind of funny. But it's what it looked like to me. And I don't know what it was. And it was uh, huge. Huge. So that's my story. Thank you for your podcast. I listen every week. Hope you can use the story. Have a good one.
0: Thanks, Eric. The skies over New Jersey seem to be busy lately.
3: Now, 2020 wouldn't be complete without
1: an alien invasion, am I right? This video uh, showing people believing they'd seen a UFO in New Jersey, but turned out to be none other than the Goodyear blimp. Oh my goodness, just look a little closer, people. (laughs) It was flying over a highway for a nighttime football game. People lined up on the road to get video. Oh, goodness gracious.
0: That segment was featured at CBS News 8 out of San Diego and it's also possibly one of my favorite news stories from the past week. The link is in the show notes, but it's clearly a Goodyear blimp, if you stare at it long enough. The top portion of the balloon appears to be the exact same color as the sky, making only the bottom blue part visible, which in turn makes it look almost exactly like some sort of flying saucer, complete with blinking lights. In short, I can't fault people for being mistaken. But in my digging, I was able to find a video from the town of Elizabeth, New Jersey, recorded back in 2007. Now this one will require you to click on the show notes in your podcatcher, or you can go to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the show notes there. I know the circle is not red, but how close are we, Eric? Maybe this thing is some sort of reoccurring event. Thanks again for the submission. Now guys, I have some great news for you, especially you, Mickey. We've finally and officially launched the new Mirrored Men design, and this time, it's a hoodie. Julian Meyer, the brilliant mind behind Cryptid Zoo, has really outdone himself this time. So hit up the website or any of our social media accounts to see this incredible design. And like most everything from Cryptid Zoo, this design too features augmented reality, meaning that using your smartphone, your design comes to life. But I'll have more on that in a week or two. So visit the website today, and while you're there, pick up some of our other out of this world merchandise. Our next entry is a bit of a double header. Please welcome Allison from New York to the program.
6: Hi, Derek. It's Allison. I'm calling from New York. This story takes place last summer, that's 2018, late at night, maybe around 11 or 12. I'd spent the evening at my boyfriend's parents' house, who live in a neighborhood at the edge of a swampy forest. Most of where we live is a nice mix of suburban and rural, and we are very outdoorsy people, who are both pretty familiar with the local wildlife, especially my partner, who majored in that and does that as his profession, wildlife science. So anyway, we've been watching movies. Nothing scary, because he doesn't like that genre. I only mention that because I think it's important to note that we didn't have any creepy feelings prior to this event that may have influenced our interpretation or caused us to jump to conclusions. So he's walking me through my car and I comment on how pretty the moon is. It was full and quite bright. I also noticed that the woods had gone completely silent. And if you live near a swamp or marsh, you know how loud those critters are, especially on a summer night. So it was weird that there were no frogs croaking or no crickets chirping. It was just very still. There was no one else out. Again, it's a very quiet neighborhood. Um, it's very late. And we were in his driveway, which is right next to the road. Now, there are street lights, but they're very spaced out, so very dark. Sight is pretty limited. Um, anyway, we're saying our goodbyes when a very loud crash sound occurred near the road, maybe 50 feet away from us. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say crash because it wasn't the metallic sound of a car crash. Maybe I should describe it as like a slamming sound. It sounded like a very large body was thrown against the earth, like a thump there. We'll call it a very loud thump. That's followed immediately by extremely loud wailing, yowling, and crying, and not human noises, but also not any animal calls that we have ever been exposed to before. I'm not claiming that we know every sound that every animal in our area makes, but we do both have good knowledge in that subject, and neither of us had ever heard these sounds before. Whatever was making them sounded like they were in pain. So those noises continued for a few seconds near us, and we were both just kind of frozen, not knowing how to react, just listening and and gathering information. But again, we couldn't see anything because it's dark, and there was also a large hedgerow between us and uh, where it sounded like it was coming from. So after a few seconds, the sounds begin to move, still wailing and yowling, um, but luckily it begins to move away from us, sprinting it sounds like just crashing through the woods at a very high speed I mean, it was near us and then the sounds were diminishing and they were gone like this thing just zoomed away when we both look at each other like what the heck, and then just immediately, I go home and he goes inside the next day we explored the area but found nothing out of the norm, it was just a forest like always logically, we said a deer was hit by a car and ran into the forest. However, we know for a fact that no one had driven by because we were standing right next to the road for 10 minutes talking before I was going to leave. No one came out of their house. No one drove by. Maybe some animal was shot by a hunter, but that could also be debunked because it's a residential neighborhood and, and there was no gunshot sound. The next logical explanation I can come up with is that two coyotes or foxes were fighting, Maybe that explains the crash, you know, slamming sound I heard if these two animals collided. But again, the noises were so foreign to us. Uh, We have heard coyotes and foxes and other animals fight very often, and it didn't sound like that. And then also, whatever it was that ran through the forest sounded huge by the way it was crashing through the woods and so fast. So I know without a visual, the story has its faults. Whenever we merely hear something, our mind gets very creative to come up with the visuals. However, we're both really logical people, so the fact that we're still stumped a year later is the reason why I'm submitting this story. The private theory I like to entertain in my head is that we were a few feet away from a werewolf transformation. My other submission is short. I was teaching a lesson, I'm a science teacher, I was teaching a lesson on fossils, and this memory just surfaced out of nowhere. I grew up in North Carolina on the Outer Banks, and we had plenty of swampy coastal woods to explore. There was a small boardwalk behind our complex that provided wooden boarded trails through the swamp so that you could enjoy the coastal marshes without getting covered in mud. This is about 2000, 1999 maybe. Um, It was twilight, and my siblings and my father and I were out on a walk looking for frogs, listening to the birds, you know, whatever you do when you're a kid on a summer evening. We stopped suddenly when someone noticed something strange about 20 or 30 feet from us imprinted out in the mud was the shape of a bare human footprint. There was not a trail of footprints leading away from the boardwalk or anywhere. It was just one singular, well-preserved print in the mud. And it was huge. As this memory came back to me, I thought maybe it only seemed big because I was a child. However, I also remembered my dad exclaiming about how huge it was, so it really must have been quite sizable. I contacted my siblings to see if any of them remembered this as well, and they all said, oh, yeah, vaguely, yeah, that that was weird, that one random footprint, and it was huge. That's what sticks out to them as well. And that's all I remember, unfortunately, but I'm glad this little tidbit was triggered because it's really interesting to me. If someone was out hunting or just exploring, why wouldn't they have boots on? And if they did decide to walk without shoes... Why was there just one print? So thank you for listening. I can't wait to hear your take on one or both of these stories. And I just wanted to say to anyone out there who is kind of nervous to call, just do it. It is a little scary telling your story and then knowing your voice is going to be recorded and heard. But this community thrives on participation. We all want to hear these stories as much as everyone else who is listening to this podcast. So don't be afraid. Just do it. Uh, we're all very eager to hear. And thank you, Derek, for giving us a platform to share our stories. Well, that's it. Thanks. Bye.
0: Well said, Allison. Well said. If you'd like to heed Allison's advice, simply call the hotline at one 888 608 night It's 1-888-608-6444. Now for Allison's experience. The footprint discovery is puzzling, but I may have... A solution here. Perhaps the water level was slightly higher, maybe high tide if this is the ocean we're talking about, and when it was higher someone on a small kayak or paddleboard just happened to step one foot into the mud but managed to keep everything else topside. Now when your kayak is tipping you do funny things to stay upright. After experiencing a frigid plunge on mine this past spring, I can now say that from experience. Now, as for the strange sounds, I wonder if you and your partner considered a moose as your possible culprit. A stomping moose would create quite the thud, one would think, and everyone knows how massive those animals are. I did some digging and found that, although rare, moose can be found in the northern reaches of New York State. So, depending on where you live, Allison. This all might just fall in line. But what about that strange sound the mystery creature emitted, you ask? Well, what would you think if you heard this in a darkened forest? <laughs> Now of course, Allison and her partner are the only ones that really know what the creature actually sounded like. But there are my guesses. So what do you think, Allison? Thanks again for the submission. Okay. So our next entry takes us out to the state of Washington. This is Dave's entry.
7: Hi Derek, my name is Dave. I love your podcast, and I've been listening for a long time. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm catching up with everything from the the back history, but I wanted to call and tell you my story. I have a lot of stories that I can go through and say I'm I'm in my 50s, and it started off when I was younger. As a young man, I parent, had parents that grew up as a, in a religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I think that there are certain times that depending on uh, who you're with or what you're doing that you can open doors that... End up staying open through your whole life, and I've had that problem with mine. This called a problem anyway. My grandfather had a real bad temper, he had a real bad problem with my father, and they never got along and from when I was i don't know five or six years old, they quit talking with my parents and when my dad and mom first ended up buying a house, one of the things that my my mother got along with my grandmother, but my father, having such a bad relationship with his dad, didn't want to have anything to do with him. And and mom didn't understand there was other reasons the dad had for this that he didn't explain to her. And so when they ended up buying a house, we lived in Spokane at the time. And uh, they had first time they bought a house, I believe. And and my sister and I. Uh, we're in the downstairs. They this this place didn't have anything put together in there, so they had to build a bedroom, build the walls, and do everything to make it a bedrooms for her and I to sleep in. And we didn't have any furniture at all either. And so my parents ended up buying a bunch of furniture for her, and then for myself, I didn't. I, the one thing I needed that I didn't have was a bed. And mom, behind my dad's back, without her, without him knowing about it, went to my grandmother and told her this, told her that I needed a bed, and she said that they had a spare bed in their basement. And without going into reasons behind why my dad didn't want any items from my grandparents' house, they had to do something with the religion, and uh, there was something to do with devil worship. There were some things that were sketchy on, on his side, and that's why he didn't want anything from there. And my mom didn't tell dad, but got the bed, <laughs> and then uh, they ended up putting it downstairs, my sister slept in one room next to mine, I slept in the, the other one, This was the first time that we'd ever had our own rooms. I had a big silko clock up on the wall that had two regular uh, light bulbs in it with big black hands that would uh, point to the hour and minutes. And I, I remember from the very first time that I got this bed down there, I started having dreams. And I didn't understand what the dreams were, I just knew I'd never have problems before with being scared, getting into bed. but I remember starting to have these bad nightmares, and some of the nightmares would be about things like I would see monsters, I didn't understand what they were, I just knew that they scared me really bad. And then I started having these really, really vivid dreams, I assumed they were dreams, and some of the things like where I'd wake up and it'd feel like the bed was shaking, and I didn't understand what was going on, but I'd I'd lay there for a second, not feel anything, and then just kind of put my head back down. and. Half the time, I started getting to a point where I was covering my head My head up. I put the covers over it. Well, the first time that it happened, I was laying in bed, I was asleep, and something woke me up, felt it was the movement of the bed, and I opened my eyes and looked up, and I saw in the Philco clock on the wall, the hands were just spinning, and they were spinning so fast that I couldn't seem to... I, I didn't know what was going on, and I remember kind of getting the sleep out of my eyes, and looking at it and realizing they still were spinning and I threw the covers over my head. When I put the covers back over and looked out again, the hands were at their normal time. So I thought maybe I'd just been dreaming or sleep. I, I didn't know what was going on, why that was happening, but so I just talked it up to strange occurrences like there have been in that downstairs basement since I've been there and and uh, went back to sleep. And fast forward uh, I don't know, it, it wasn't it wasn't very long. This this all transpired in a period maybe of three or four weeks from when I first got to bed and my and the next morning I went and I told my parents, I explained to them what was going on and, and they of course didn't believe me. I remember later on after like two or three times of me complaining to them about the stuff that was going on in the basement, they actually took me to the elders and, and I was trade over and there was a question where I was in the room where they asked about any of the items that we had gotten in the house, where did we get them and when did we get them? Mom at this point did not open up to Dad that she got in bed from my grandparents. Well, one night this kind of all came to a head. I woke up and I remember feeling the bed. The bed wasn't just shaking, it was actually bouncing and it was banging on the ground. And I remember when I woke up, I didn't even take my the covers off of my head. I just kind of peeked out from underneath it and I looked and the Philco clock was spinning around. I remember putting it back over my my head and, and then I heard this sound and I didn't know what the sound was. It was this it was a sound like I'd never heard. It was a strange sound and it was dark in my room because I remember the lights were on the the clock, but it was still dark and I couldn't understand why I was having a hard time seeing because that was a really good nightlight with those two bulbs in it. And so when I finally pulled my covers down enough to be able to look, I could see something flying around in the room. There's a bunch of them. I didn't know what it was. I I, I remember going over and and I basically ran over and turned on the light, and when I did, there was moths. There were thousands and thousands of moths, and they were probably between a foot to a foot and a half deep from the ceiling down, and they were just covered in the room. Well, I went running upstairs, and I told Mom and Dad. They both came downstairs. This time, they both saw the moths. They couldn't understand what was going on, but they were contained in my room, so they closed the door, and they said they had me sleep up on the couch upstairs that night, And they said that they were going to call the exterminator the next morning. And so the next morning when they went downstairs to look before the exterminator came, they walked into the room and there was not one bug anywhere and it was completely clean. Now at that point, I told mom and dad because I was in the habit of, I I would, it was funny, I I would take and I would stand at the door, I would stand with my hand over the switch I would turn it off and then run as fast as I could, dive in underneath the beds and cover it over them with my head. That was how bad they had gotten. I was just trying to be as quick as possible when there was no light in there. And when mom and dad, when I explained that to them, they finally got into a conversation where mom admitted that she had gotten the bed from grandpa. Well, dad, after being extremely upset about it, they went ahead and got rid of the bed. That was, long story short, they, they ended up getting rid of the bed at that point. And all the problems from that point went away it was very strange the way that over the course of that three four weeks that it kind of built up but that's that's the story of what happened and thanks love your love your podcast listen to it all the time makes my day at work a lot better thanks derek
0: thanks dave your story is very reminiscent of the tall man haunting that was featured in unsolved mysteries i know i've discussed and even shared portions of that segment on past shows But for those that missed it, the Tallman family of Horicon, Wisconsin experienced violent activity after purchasing a set of bunk beds from an antique store. The activity ranged from moving objects, disembodied voices threatening death, and even the illusion that the home was ablaze. It wasn't until the Tallman family destroyed the bunk beds that they finally received relief. So Dave, as terrifying as your encounter was, At least a witch-like entity didn't pretend to catch your house on fire. But it's still a chilling story, so thanks for sending it in. And here we are, folks, nearing the end of the road on this particular production. And for our grand finale, we venture to the state of Nebraska, where Andy has some hair-raising experiences to share.
8: Take it away, Andy. Hey, Derek. Uh, my name's Andy. I'm a huge fan of the show. I think I've listened to every episode multiple times. And the story that I have for you involves uh, a little creature sighting. And I think this took place in 2012 or 2013. At the time, I had just moved into my grandma's house. Uh, after she passed away, I was fortunate to purchase her house and And I lived there and it was in the Benson area of Omaha, Nebraska, which is kind of an older neighborhood. And there was always this house in that neighborhood. And growing up, it it just kind of gave everybody the willies. So it was kind of a brick wall, almost like a medieval looking fence in front of it with kind of, you know, wrought iron uh, railings. And the weird thing about the house is that no one ever seemed to live there. There'd be like construction that would start and then that would go on for a few months and then nobody would ever move in and then construction would stop. And it would it just went on like that for decades. And after my grandma passed away, I moved into her house, which was actually just a couple blocks from this creepy looking house. And so pretty much every day to and from work, I had to drive by it. And it was weird. It was just like random stuff in the yard. There was just like old, you know, uh, yard decorations there was old like garden gnome statues and bird baths and it was just in disrepair so at the time you know my my girlfriend lived with me and she was driving to work early in the morning one day it was like five o'clock in the morning and it was in January I believe and so it's still dark but she's driving down that street past the creepy house and she she swears that she saw a little creature on uh, two feet run very quickly across the street through the creepy gate and into the yard of that house. And she said it was about one, about one foot tall. She's positive it wasn't a cat or a dog or a raccoon. She said its arms were kind of swinging by its side, like a, like a person would run. And it was jet black in color. And her story's never changed. Uh, she's not one to, to make things up and kind of creeped her out, honestly. So you know, every time I have her retell the story, her her facts never change, and she doesn't embellish, but yeah, she said it looked like maybe a garden gnome or a leprechaun is, is the, the only thing that she could compare it to, and you know, I do some uh, paranormal lectures and presentations around town, and so I thought, okay, well, cool, I, I'm going to, you know, share this with the public, and you know, maybe people will think it's interesting, so some time goes by, and I was Given a presentation at a paranormal event, and I, I shared the story, figuring you know people would find it entertaining. A guy in the very back room of the auditorium raises his hand, and you know we hand him a microphone, and he stands up and he says, he says I believe you, and I, th- I say okay, and he goes yeah I believe you because I saw the same dang thing back in the 1970s about one block over from where you saw it. You know the whole audience gasps and. Turns out this gentleman's name was Carl, and he said that back, I think he said in the 70s, right in that same neighborhood, him and some buddies were in the basement of a house, and they were, you know, shooting some pool and just kind of hanging out. And Carl glanced up, and there was a small window near the ceiling of the basement, you know, kind of like a little uh, access window or whatever you call it and the the curtains were open. And he said he glanced up there and there was this little, he, he again called it kind of like a garden gnome or a leprechaun looking character that was looking down at them from the outside through the window. And so him and his buddies freak out and they all saw it, they all saw it. So they run upstairs and they run outside trying to track this thing down and they caught a glimpse of it just as it slid, almost like baseball style, like you'd slide into home plate. But he said this thing slid underneath of a parked car just across the street. And so it was kind of dark and shadowy, but he said it was definitely a little tiny person about one foot tall running on two legs. And they get down and look underneath the car and it wasn't there. It had either gotten away or disappeared. So that's what happened two sightings in the same general vicinity. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, finally, after all these years, just in the last year or two, somebody finally bought that house and fixed it up and moved in. So it actually looks quite nice on the outside. And still, I mean, there's there's some little creature running around that neighborhood. I mean, every time I drive by it nowadays, I kind of look at it and I just shake my head and I'm thinking, man, whoever lives there has no idea, you know, or maybe they do. I don't know if they've had their own sighting, but Anyway, garden gnomes, leprechauns, whatever you choose to call it, I think there's things out there that exist that we just can't make sense of. Anyway, a huge fan of the show. As a fellow podcast enthusiast, I, I appreciate all the time and hard work that goes into it. it you make it seem really easy, and I know, I know it's a labor of love, and that's a lot of hours behind the computer. So for all of us, please keep it up, because you do a really great job, and uh, have a good one. Thanks. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for the high praise.
0: Producing a program like this does take a lot longer than I think the layman realizes. And speaking of which, just this past Tuesday I released the latest episode of Monsters Among Us Beyond, where I actually cover several possible wedgy stories. So if you're interested in something like that, visit Patreon.com, join at least the $4 level, and that episode plus 40 more are yours. But never mind all that, do we have a troll in Lincoln, Nebraska? As wild as this story is, and believe it or not, like many stories in the paranormal universe, this little person sighting is not alone. Stories persist of small humanoid creatures the world over. The Norwegians have their trolls, Central Europe has their elves and sprites, Ireland has their leprechauns. In Iceland, they're hidden folk. Even in Central and South America, they have the Duende, a creature also known to appear in parts of the Philippines. But if we simply train a microscope on the states, you'll find that the legends of these small people are even dispersed here. The Northeast has its puckwaji. The Crow had legends of little people in the Northern Plains going back centuries. And you may have heard of the Moon-eyed people, of Cherokee legend. My giant curiosity. I mean, little people that uh, nobody seemed to know about.
5: Mary Joyce started collecting notes more than a decade ago about legends of little people in our western mountains, finally putting out a book. Cherokee little people were real. They were here before the Cherokee. She says the Cherokee came from the Great Lakes region thousands of years ago, arriving to find little people who lived underground. Would tend their gardens uh, at nighttime. By the moonlight, and originally the Cherokee called them the Moon People. And she says, the Cherokee adopted them. Cherokee. Joyce bases much of her book on the recollections of two men who grew up hearing little people's stories, claiming to have seen evidence, including tunnels near older buildings at Western Carolina University, like the McKee Building, built in the 30s. And these tunnels, I guess, were like a network. I don't doubt that they are telling the truth, but I just haven't seen any evidence myself. Jane Eastman is Western's Director of Cherokee Studies and works in the McKee Building. She ran excavations near the building between 2003 and 2005 and found Cherokee homes. What I didn't find was any evidence of tunnels. I don't have any reasons to doubt other people's beliefs and and understandings. And
3: they do really believe that these things do exist, and they're only about two feet tall
0: when they're fully
5: grown. Cherokee history lecturer Freeman Owl has spoken to Eastman's classes about the little people. He says many Cherokee believe in them and their existence develop this belief in
3: these little people, just like people would develop in
0: Now that clip belongs to WLOS ABC News Three, out of Asheville, North Carolina. Now, not all the information we have on these little people are stories or legends. Like Andy's experience in Omaha, there seems to be several contemporary encounters, experiences like this one from the state of Indiana.
7: Okay, my name is Jim Campbell. I'm a security officer at Mound State Park, and I thought I'd seen a possibility in July of last year, which would be 2016.
9: Mm-hmm.
7: I was on routine patrol back by the pool, and I was coming around the circle
5: because there's a
7: woods right there, real thick, and when I got to this one corner, one edge of it there, I seen a little figure, about three foot tall, a lot of drab clothes, and run into the woods.
0: That segment was pulled from an interview of a park ranger at Mound State Park in the state of Indiana, and it comes courtesy of episode 22 of the podcast, Tripping on Legends. A big thanks to Christopher Balzano for documenting that amazing account. And although the witness, Jim Campbell, calls the creature a puckwudgie, it still seems to fit the same description as many of these legends and eyewitnesses describe. And I'll be upfront, I don't know a lot about these particular legends. In fact, the more I learn about the paranormal in general, I feel the less I actually know. So I reached out to friends of the show and friends of mine, Kyle and Cam from Expanded Perspectives. We'd had a short conversation about these little folk not that long ago, and their podcast covering these odd tiny entities is one of their more memorable episodes. So in my eyes that makes them more of an expert than me. So I had one important question to ask them regarding the locations these things are encountered in. To me it seemed to be random as I'd heard stories from all over the place, not just one or two locations. That's when Kyle hit on something that sort of clicked for me. He mentioned that granite rocks and caves in general seem to be the common thread with these creatures and their sightings. Now of course we know that Indiana has its fair share of caves, as does the Carolinas. And perhaps to no one's surprise, so does the entire Omaha area. So who knows? Rare tiny humans living underground. It is 2020 after all, and there's still three months left. So I suppose anything is possible. But thank you again, Andy, for sharing that entry. And a big thanks to Expanded Perspectives and Tripping on Legends. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the spooky music you hear in this episode is code Music and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. During my discussion with Expanded Perspectives, Kyle mentioned that they'd recently received their own listener-submitted call regarding these little people, and they were kind enough to let me share it with you tonight. So on loan from the boys at Expanded Perspectives, please give a big Monsters Among Us welcome to April from Illinois. Hey guys, I
9: have a face story for you. My name's April. I uh, grew up in Southern Illinois, and this happened at my grandparents' house in the early '80s. They lived in a small town called Blueford, Illinois. Very small population, maybe 200 people, not very big. So my grandfather and grandma had a farm out there, cows. We used to, my parents lived a little ways away, and then they would go and take me and drop me off there, and we'd I'd play with my cousins, spend the night, spend the weekend, whatever. You know, with the farm. We all played outside. It was the '80s. Stuff. so you know it was a really cool experience. Their house was it was a little creepy, a little you know the old barns and stuff, there's pasture, there was woods, you know, uh but their house was always a, a little bit creepy. There was always something kinda of odd about it anyway. And I was really little when this happened. My grandpa always slept on the floor in the living room. It's just something he always did. Grandma slept in her bedroom and in her bedroom uh, there was her bed and at the foot of the bed it was about 5 feet and then there was a big closet all of closet there <laughs> right in front of that was a crib now I was still tall enough to fit in that crib but I remember this like it was yesterday I was asleep and I was facing towards my grandma with my back to the closet and in between the crib and the closet was like a space about 3 foot or so and I remember waking up Turning over, and there was a little guy standing there. Well, he wasn't standing. He was in, like, a little car. That sounds really crazy and out there. But anyway, I was, I turned over and towards the closet, and I look out, and there is a little guy in a car. He pulled up right beside my crib, and he reaches in, and he takes my left hand and pulls it out through the crib little thing, and kisses the top of my hand, and then drives off into the wall. Gone. At that point, I freaked out, started crying for my grandma, and she got me and put me in bed and told me it was okay, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward a few years, I'd never left me. I always remember that experience. And we would see some kind of weird things there, like shadows or white lights at the house and stuff, seeing my cousins. But I asked my grandma years later if she ever saw anything weird in that house, and she said, oh, do you mean like the little man that drives the stagecoach past my door and then blasts?"
5: And I don't know if she was
9: joking with me or if it was a coincidence or if she actually did see something like that. But anyway, that's my face story. And uh, like I said, it's always stuck with me over the years.
0: Thank you, April. Thanks, guys, for sharing that story. And thank you, April, for sharing it as well. Great. Now these things have cars. Honestly, I don't know what to make of all this. But again, I'm going to point out one tiny detail. The area in which April lives, Southern Illinois, also happens to be covered with caves. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the program. Have yourself a great night.